Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to the show. It's your host, Matt Browning, and I am diving into an interview with someone I've been wanting to get on the show for quite a long time now. Um, I met him in uh, summer of 2018, and I've been, when you know, we talked back and forth a little bit, I've been waiting to do this, super excited. This is a guy who has worked in the finance and credit industry forever, and he has worked with every name imaginable. He's the go-to guy, almost I'd call him like the celebrity credit guy. Uh, his name is Rondi Lambeth. Rondi's an award-winning TV and radio show host, a best-selling author. He's been seen and heard all over ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox News, and NBC. He's spoken in front of tens of thousands of people on stages all across the world, including Harvard. A decade ago, he started the world's first paid-on-results credit repair. Um, he's worked with clients and, uh, and, and the groups of these clients. Uh, so the people and their teams, people like the Tony Robbins group, Andy Frisellis uh, of MFCEO, Les Brown, Grant Cardone, Andre Agassi, Floyd Mayweather, Frank Kern. I mean, you name it. Basically, the, the people in the know go to Rondi, whether it's credit repair, whether it's increasing scores, whether it's even identity theft in some cases, the people that need to have their credit as good as it can possibly be, he's the only guy in the entire game to go to. So, Rondi, thanks for coming on, man. Hoping to get into some wealth and credit and all things money with you. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here as well. I'm glad we can make this happen. Uh, so, I want to kind of jump right in with you and start... Did you, how, when did you get into this in the first place? Did you grow up thinking, gee whiz, man, I'm in high school. I want to go to school and learn about credit. Did you have any like early credit use or credit building stories? What, what was the, and if you didn't, that's okay too. What was your first kind of getting into business? What would that look like for you? Well, you know, my first uh, business opportunity I did, I was uh, eight years old and a little backstory. I, I grew up extremely poor. Um, not middle class America poor, but poor. No running water, no electricity. We got our food out of a dumpster every Wednesday after school. We we would go to the grocery store at night and uh, get our food for the following week. So I grew up extremely poor. When I was 15, 15 years old, I decided I was tired of being beat up all the time and being poor. So I left home and I hitchhiked from the Canadian border of Idaho and Canadian border. And I hitchhiked all the way down to Boise, spent some time there in and out of foster care, and then ended up moving back to Oregon where I was born. And I went to work for a very, very wealthy man named Wally Williams. And Wally owned a funeral home. And so he kind of took me in at 15 years old. I become the youngest licensed embalmer in the state of Oregon. Now that is a, <laughs> that's yeah. a, a record right there. Yeah. And, and I didn't really know about credit or anything like that, but that's where I learned about money and taxes. And that's really where my journey started with the whole wealth game was learning from, you know, go from extremely poor to learning from a multimillionaire. It's curious. Then, was your, were your mom and dad around? Had they split? What was kind of the story, if you don't want me asking about family? I love to find kind of how our origin story shapes our decisions as we get into teenage years. What was your family growing up in that poor atmosphere? 
you know, my uh, biological father wasn't around. You know, he shortly after be, me being born, uh, my mom would run from him because he'd show up drunk. He'd beat her up. And then mm. a few days would go by and we'd, you know, move out and go into a women's shelter for a while. And, and so that was went on until I was about 10. And one day coming back, it was after the first of the month because we were on food stamps and we would go into town and do all our grocery shopping for the month. And then we would hitchhike back because we didn't have a car. And one day this, this guy pulled up next to us with a horse and wagon. So we had an entire train of horses with this big hay wagon. And he stopped and asked us if we wanted to ride. So of course we wanted to ride. So we put our groceries up there and one thing led to another. Next thing I know, we're moving out of our section eight house, moving in with this guy's name was Paul. And uh, that's where I spent the next five years. And surprisingly, the guy was also extremely wealthy, but he was paranoid of the government. And so we kind of lived off the grid. We lived in a tent most of the year up in the mountains of Idaho. And then in the wintertime, we would stay at this little shack. And uh, that shack was the size of my master bedroom. And there was, ended up being uh, nine of us living in that little shack with no running water. When you that, was, in a situation that was my childhood. Like this. Wow. What's that? So you're living in a situation like this as a kid and you go from sort of one negative to, Hey, now we have something to save us, but it's also not very wealth oriented, even though there's money around. I'm curious though, like your mindset at this point, were you, were you the kind of kid who was like, Hey, you know, it is what it is and this must be life. And did you have a wake up call at some point or did you sort of like early on look and go, you know, this ain't right. There's gotta be a better way. Were you scratching, clawing, looking for a better way? Or did you have that epiphany one day once you, you met that mentor you spoke about? No, you know, I, I thought that was, I knew it wasn't normal because I did get to go to school every once in a while. So I knew it wasn't normal. Um, and you I was made kids fun around, of most, right? what's that? You saw the other kids around and I did. Yeah. You know, and I had family, you know, we'd go there and sometimes, and, and I got to take a bath or a shower and I got to see what electricity was and radio and, and, but why I'd left was I, I was 15. My younger brother was 14. We're 10 months apart. And we had made this pact that we're tired of being beaten. And it wasn't just like a little spanking. It was like shotgun to the face beaten until unconscious beatings oh my god and so we had made this pact that we were done with it and we were gonna next time that he jumped on one of us the other one was gonna you know hit him until he stopped breathing so we start walking around with these uh, walking sticks that really look more like baseball bats and <laughs> paul had i think he finally figured it out because he essentially said you know you guys are out you're you can't live with this anymore so my mom gave me 20 bucks in food stamps. And at the time we were in Wenatchee, Washington, pick, pick an apple. She gave us uh, $20 in food stamps and a bag of apples and sent us on our way. So when I said I left home, I was kind of kicked out of the home. And that's when I moved to Oregon. I met Wally. And, and that's where I saw, you know, how you can actually make money and start building wealth. So, so when you met when you met Wally, were you like, "Holy moly, this is the this is the grail." I've been waiting for a guy like this. Did so, and I asked that because when I met my real estate mentor Ed Sweeney, I didn't know what I had. Right, like I, I grew up not as bad as you, but I grew up not with a lot. And when when I met him at eighteen and his brother Joe, I, I didn't know what I had. I was like, "Well, I guess it's a job." 
And little did I know after the after a couple of years what they were pouring into me. Did you know what you had right away, or did it start getting revealed more and more as you stayed? I, I wouldn't say that I got it right away because I was in survival mode, but it didn't take very long for me to figure it out because he started, you know, he started coaching me and mentoring me just on life. And and that, that's the first time I ever learned about petty cash and what petty cash was for. Cause his his wife would show up every Friday and he'd give her two thousand dollars in cash. And and then he started teaching me about taxes. And you know, all my friends in high school, you know, they were all in, involved in sports and I was learning about the tax code and, and how to build wealth. So I love this. So I'm sitting here with Rondi Lambeth, uh, credit specialist, credit repair uh, and uh, instigator to the stars to make their lives better. We're going to talk about credit and wealth right now. So I want to get into some of the lessons you learned. So you said you hooked up with this mentor, you move out on your own. And now here you are, you're 15 years old, you're learning about tax code, you're learning, did you learn about tax first and then credit? What were some of the lessons, life lessons even that came your way from him first? Yeah, I learned more about money and how to build wealth and taxes from him. And then when I turned 21, um, I was tired of, I've always wanted to be a hero, you know, and I do this whole keynote speech on becoming Batman. And I always wanted to be a hero. I want to be Batman because he didn't have any superheroes or superpowers. He was just very wealthy. And so I was tired of burying people. And I've actually moved to Littleton, Colorado, and I become a fireman and went to work for Littleton Fire Department. And my dream came through, you know, that I started being a hero, saving people's lives. And then April 2006, I received multiple phone calls from my mother while on duty. And she had let me know that my little brother, Zeke, my youngest brother, uh, who was also a firefighter in Oregon, had been involved in an accident. And so I called her to find out what had happened. And he had actually shot and killed himself. And uh, after digging into his files and his personal stuff, it was because of some credit card debt, some collections and a poor credit score being denied some loans. And so that's when I kind of transitioned from being a firefighter, saving strangers lives to creating fortress. And so I created, I founded fortress in November, 2007. Um, so I could help people like my brother who committed suicide over credit card issues and credit scores. And that's how I got into the credit repair space. And from there, and I just started Sorry, reading you everything I could on credit. I love that. I mean, I, I hate that, but I love that. Um, you shared with me earlier when we had met, how much debt was your brother in? Because that's just a, a horrific story. I lost my brother as well, not to credit card debt and, and that circumstance. Um, but it, it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, especially when you've gone through what you've gone through. But I remember what really hit me when you shared your, your story was what it was over, right? That so many people would say, well, was that really enough to end a life? How much debt was he in? And it was how, a couple thousand dollars, a couple it, thousand, dollars. literally just a couple thousand dollars is all it was. But in his world, he couldn't see a way out. Nope. You know, unfortunately, there's 5,000 people in America that kill themselves every year over credit card debt and credit credit issues. So number one cause of divorce is financial issues. Number one cause of illness because of stress and stress causes the inflammation. Inflammation causes cancer and many other diseases. And it all stems from financial problems. 
So, so it wasn't very much money. Wow. So there's there's a couple of directions I want to take this. Is one direction is if you find yourself stuck or feeling stuck, whether it's not having enough savings, having a bad credit score, having um, I know a, a lot of families personally that have medical bills or or they've gone through the medical world where you know they maxed out their insurance or they had no insurance and a kid got sick. And now there's a couple hundred grand in medical uh, bills and they go, well, I guess that's the end of the road and they don't know what else to do. So I want to speak to sort of the stuck part and what, what are some ways, what are some tactics or at least mindsets and approaches to try to get out of stuck? If you're listening and you're stuck, I want to talk about that. And then I want to talk about sort of from the ground up, if you're starting fresh or what to do next to, to build and set yourself, set yourself up for the right thing. Um, so can we talk about stuck a little bit? So people like your brother, you know, what would you have told him now looking back? I know that's a a terrible way to ask that, but what would you tell someone in that situation? How do they get out? How do they come back up? What what I tell people on a regular basis and on my podcast and TV interviews and, and such is your bad credit, this financial problem, it's not a lifetime sentence. It's a very, very short amount of time. It doesn't take that long to correct it and not, not to just ignore the problem. Don't dig a hole and bury your head and ignore it. Uh, the stress that is, that's causing all of this is the phone calls from the collection agencies, primarily the debt collectors. So if you're getting those phone calls nonstop, you simply just tell them to stop calling you. And legally, they have to stop. Uh, You can also block their numbers. But to get yourself out of it, you need to work out some type of payment arrangement, whether, you know, it could literally be a dollar a month. And a lot of these companies aren't going to accept it. But you need to do your part to try to make it right. And you offer them what you can pay them. And if they won't accept it, then you write it off and forget about it. You did your part. You they, they can't you could, you they offered can't what come you and arrest you. What's that? You offered what you could do. You did yep. the best you could do. And if, they, if that's not good enough for them, then there's not much else you can do. Yeah, there isn't. You know, until you get to the point that you can. And, and unfortunately, the way the law works is most states for example, on credit card debt, they, they have to sue you generally within the first six months of defaulting. So if you haven't made payments for six months and they won't settle with you, don't make any more payments because that is going to prolong the statute of limitations for them to be able to sue you. And if you don't have anything at all, then you don't really have to worry about being sued anyway. And if you do get sued, you can do a chapter seven bankruptcy in most cases. In bankruptcy, I filed bankruptcy twice in my life. And I've worked with thousands of people to file bankruptcy. And it's not the end of the world. It's, it's actually a fresh start. If you imagine trying to climb Mount Everest and you got a backpack with 200 pounds of rocks in it representing your debt, it's very, very difficult to get to the top of the mountain. But if you file bankruptcy and get rid of that debt, you can now actually start living a life and be start being productive and living your full potential and providing for your family. So my, my uh, comment or, or thought on that is do your best. It's not a life sentence. Don't worry about your credit. It can be cleaned up and fixed. Just get yourself healthy and get in a good place. And don't worry about the debt. It's going to work itself out some po- at some point. And then if the collection companies are harassing you, just tell them to stop. And if they won't stop, just block them. 
you know, you can get a new phone number, you can block them on your smartphone or and what would you t- what would you tell someone that has a moral issue with bankruptcy? I've ran into a lot of people. Um, I don't have the, I mean, I, I used to, I've wrestled with it, you know, and yeah. I've declared bankruptcy once in my life. It was after I lost a million and a half dollars in real estate and I didn't really have a choice. There's always a choice, but I didn't have a choice. I thought I same thing. I can either go up the mountain with a, a bag of rocks or I can do what the banks and what the, what the capitalist world has set up for me as a tool for entrepreneurs and for people doing their best, um, not taking advantage of it, but that was the choice. What do you tell... I run into a lot of people that have a moral issue and they go, well, that's not right. I can't do that to them or to the bank. I'm going to... And that what they do is they drag it on for... And they, they ruin basically the next 20 years of their life doing, quote unquote, what's right. And I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong, but what do you tell someone that they should do that strategically, but morally, they internally feel like it's not right? So it has nothing to do with morals. It has to do with pride. It's not a moral issue. It's a pride issue. They don't want, they're, they're too proud of a person to file bankruptcy. And so they make it a moral issue. So you don't think it's a moral issue at all? Like that's not right. I shouldn't default on, on debt to someone. No, it, it's, it's, it's a moral issue to purposely go out and rack up your credit cards knowing you're going to file bankruptcy or to purposely buy something, a car, and then not make the payment. You know, the majority of defaults, here's a crazy stat, 90% of all defaults happen within the first two years. The high majority of repossessions happens before the first payment is even made. That's a moral issue. But as far as taking the responsible way and filing bankruptcy, that's a pride issue. And bankruptcy is set up to help us. You know, it's, and if, Usually the people that say it's a moral issue generally have some type of religious background and the whole bankruptcy code was created on the old Jewish laws of the Bible that your debt should be forgiven every seven years. And that's how they come up with that every seven years. And now it's, now it's eight years, but I don't see it as a moral issue. I see it more of a pride issue and they just don't want to, they don't want to admit that they messed up. I love the distinction between pride and moral and then seven years, you know, I mean, this is the whole principle of forgiveness in the first place. And, you know, speaking the Bible and, you know, a lot of people listening know that my wife and I have pastored in church and whatnot. And, and I'll tell you, there's so, there's more talked about money. And then there's also so many scriptures talked about forgiveness and forgiveness is the idea of no matter what the amount is, essentially, if you've come to a place when a slave would come to a place where they couldn't get out from under it and they went to the master and said, I'd have to work four lifetimes to repay you. And the, the king or the master said, all is forgiven. That's huge. I mean, that, that's one of the best spiritual principles, no matter what your background is, I think anyone could believe in. And it is, it's a fresh start. The other thing that helped me, and I'm curious on your take on this, is I looked at, at personal debts different than credit cards, medical bills, business debts. When I look at Bank of America or a hospital, that charge whatever they charge. Part of their business structure, at least what I believe, is it's built up for a certain amount of chargebacks, bankruptcies, uh, non-payments, and payments and everything. And they're in business, right? They're trying to make money from us. Whereas if my uncle Ed, you know, lent me $300, I kind of feel like, you know, maybe I'll file bankruptcy for the consumer or the, the commercial debts. But I'm still going to, when I start making money again, I'm still going to go back and pay Uncle Ed. How do you feel about that as a process 
um, for personal versus institutional debt. Yeah. And I don't know, you don't have to agree with me, but that's kind of that's no, no, my take. No, I, I think what it is, is I, I think debt is debt, regardless of who you owe it to. Mm-hmm. It, it is harder for the your uncle, your family members, your friends. You know, they don't have the default insurance that's built into it. But I think what allows people to kind of morally justify filing bankruptcy on Bank of America is there's no face. It's just a corporate corporation where Uncle Ed, you don't want to file on him. Um, however, with banks, they every bank has what's called default insurance. And so if you default on your credit card debt or your car loan, they have insurance policy. And this is why AIG you know, ended up going into bankruptcy and had to be bailed out by the taxpayers back in 2000. And I think it was 10, they got their bailout is because all these banks had in default insurance on these mortgages and they couldn't pay out the premium or they couldn't pay out the uh, policies on when they started filing uh, insurance policies on them for the default insurance. So, but it is built into it. A good example is last year, uh, I got sick and I spent seven days in ICU and my hospital bill was $144,000. Oh my goodness. And I had insurance, but they didn't take my insurance, but it's emergency room. I had a pulmonary embolism in my right lung. So I, I didn't have a choice of picking in, in network hospital, right? I went to the first hospital I could find. And but they don't want to bail my insurance, so they said, "Hey, if you just give us nine thousand dollars, we'll wipe out your hundred and forty-four thousand dollar bill." That's how much padding they have in that bill, and that that makes me feel good too. Like again, you don't want to cut anyone out, but don't think of it as I'm stealing one hundred forty grand from the hospital, or they have to pay that much money. They don't. It, it's about a cost of goods sold, and they don't have a cost of goods sold. At, you know, they don't have a ten percent margin. Their margins are way larger. And I don't want to make out, again, the institutional organizations or the hospitals to be bad guys or not. It's just business. Uh, but there is room and there is padding. Right? I, I want to pivot into some strategies we can do. When, when we met, we were um, in, a, in a meeting with 14 TV producers in Las Vegas. And we were, I, I watched you uh, get booked on several different uh, morning shows all across the country. And your topic was how you could save $350 every single month. And you had a few, some, some hacks, some ideas, some quick tips. And I love we could in the last couple of minutes we have. Could you share a few of those tips or maybe your top one or two that could be something I could apply and use right now that anyone listening, no matter what, you got to do it. Yeah. Tip number one is you need to have at least three credit cards open at all times. If you want to have good credit. Because FICO's job is to predict the future over the next 24 months on whether or not you're going to pay your bills on time. That is the sole purpose of FICO. Are you going to pay your bills on time for the next two years? And they've figured out over the last 56 years that people with three credit cards or more are more likely to pay their bills on time than someone with no credit card or someone with one credit card. So, that's tip number one. You need to have three credit cards. So a credit two, score is about payment history. It's not about whether you have debt or not. And that's a big misconception. People think, well, I don't have any debt, so I should be good. The reality is it's not about debt. It's about having open credit lines and repaying your payments. Tip number two. Yeah. So I just want to stop on that, Matt. Um, oh, fix me. <laughs> credit score is, is 35% of 35% of your scores payment history. 65% is what type of credit, how much you owe 
on how long you've owed it. So 35% is payment history. But Excellent. Tip number two is never use a debit card ever. Okay. So I do that every month. I spend a yeah. lot of money on a debit card every month. Why not? Yeah. The, the reason is when you use a debit card and it gets hacked, whether it's because you stayed at a Marriott and they got hacked and lost 500 million debit cards and credit Which cards they did. <laughs> two weeks ago, 500 million, right? Um, when you use a debit card, you're literally putting your checking account at risk. And let's imagine that you use your debit card three months ago. And on the 29th of this month, your checking account gets hacked and they drain it. How are you going to pay your mortgage on the first or rent on the first or car insurance or electricity? Because it can take the bank up to six months to give you back that money. And you have to prove to the bank that that charge was fraud versus with a credit card, they have insurance, fraud insurance on it. And the merchant has to prove that it was a legitimate charge. And they instantly give you back the money on a credit card. On debit card, you have to fight for it to get your money back. So on a credit card, I could almost say the credit card, it's the laws are in for chargebacks and fraud are in favor of the consumer, where for the debit cards, it might lean more towards the bank. Would that be fair to say? That is 100% accurate. Okay, because the got- bank doesn't have insurance on debit card fraud. They have insurance on credit card fraud. So that's money out of their pocket if they can't get it back from whoever committed the fraud. Yeah. And so a lot of times they will actually take it out of your pocket and not give it back to you. We, we so, got time for about one more tip. And I'd love to hear that if you got something fun. Never pay off a car loan early or student loan early. Always go full term. And if you want to get debt free, pay it down to the number of months remaining on the loan times $1. So if you got three years left on the car payment, pay it down to 36 bucks and pay a dollar a month for the next three years. So that way you don't waste money on interest if you're thinking that way, but you get the 36 months of payment history, which is going to help you with 35% of your credit score. Exactly. I love it. Randy, you're amazing. We could go on with this forever, but I want to, um, I want to talk real briefly about, I know you have, uh, you have a book that goes a little more in depth into this. Can you talk a little bit about your book? Yeah. So my book is, one of my books is Credit Hacks and it's, Uh, hacks on the way to increase your credit and have great credit for life. It goes through every single step that I talked about today and hundreds more on how to improve your credit score if you have bad credit and how to increase your credit score if you have good credit and you want to have great credit. So if you want to get Rondi's book, uh, you can go over to www.rondilambeth and we'll have that in the show notes. That's R-O-N-D-I. L-A-M-B-E-T-H, rondylambeth.com slash books and grab his books for the, the credit hack books. You can use discount code Brawning, which is, of course, my last name. And if they use discount code Brawning, what do they get, Rondi? They're going to get my book for free. So we're going to, they just put in that code and hit the old enter button. It will ask for a credit card because it is a shopping cart, but it will not charge you. And then it's going to instantly email you a link that you can download the book. Come on. That's even better than Amazon discounts, Black Friday. Phenomenal. So thank you so much. It's Credit Hacks book at rondylamoth.com slash books, discount code Bronning. We'll have that in the show notes. You can also check out Rondy. He's uh, on iTunes and, and Stitcher and Spotify. And he's all over the place on schoolofwealthshow.com. His podcast and new radio show is School of Wealth. So check out Rondy on that and follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Rondy Lambeth. Rondy, thanks for coming on the show. I sure appreciate your time, brother. Great to get to know you a little more. And thanks for sharing so much of your story with us. 
All right. Thanks for having me on here. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. I sure appreciate you listening in. This was Interview Friday. Have an awesome weekend. As usual, get out there and crush it. I'll see you next week. 